If you have your Bibles today, you can follow along with me in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and beginning verse 33. In Matthew 5 and in Luke 8, Jesus uses the metaphor of light to teach about the responsibility we have as believers to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. But here Jesus uses light in a different sense. We know that by the context. Context is always extremely, very, very important in understanding what Scripture really means. And when we look at the context in the preceding verses, it becomes obvious that Jesus is speaking of light in terms of the revelation of himself to the world. He is speaking about the revelation of his self, of himself, of his identity as Messiah. Jesus is the light. He is the Messiah. And in verse 33, Jesus makes clear that he is not hiding this fact. The light is evident. It is there to see. He is not putting it under a basket, putting it under a bushel. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket. He's making very clear. I am making it obvious to you that I am the Messiah. And yet, many in the crowd, most in the crowd, did not believe this fact. They had rejected Jesus as the Messiah that they had long awaited. The one who would come to save those who were lost in their sins. And the, Jesus makes very clear here that the problem was not the lack of evidence. They were seeking an additional sign. And they would continue to seek additional signs. If Jesus had acquiesced, if he had gone along with their request and given them another sign, they would have just asked for another sign and another sign and another sign because they were a wicked generation and their spiritual eyes were clouded. Their spiritual eyes could not see the fact, the facts that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was and is the Messiah. Just as the eye is the physical instrument of the body through which we take in light, we have spiritual eyes through which we take in spiritual revelation, spiritual light. Often scripture uses this metaphor light to indicate the revelation of God to us. And Jesus is saying here is you have physical eyes which allow you to take in light and you do something with that light. It changes you, makes you different. We are able to see the world around us. We are able to identify things. We are able to do great things because of the light. Able to navigate this room, avoid obstacles, and accomplish things because of the light we take in through our physical eyes. And Jesus is saying here that our spiritual eyes, we have spiritual eyes just as physical ones, and we take in spiritual light, and it allows us to be changed to be different people. But there's something wrong with your eyes. There's something wrong with your spiritual vision. And as a result of that, you're blinded. Now, this is exciting in one sense for us because it indicates to us quite clearly that God is always revealing his will to us. That is something that we need to take a great sense of comfort in this morning. Some folks tend to view God's will and finding God's will as a, as a great hunt, a great mystery. As though God is playing hide and seek with himself and his will. But the fact of the matter is, is just as light is raining down upon us at all times, whether we have our eyes open or closed to see it, 
God's revelation is being poured out upon us at all times. And if we have spiritual eyes to see, we will understand. We will see him. We will know him. And we will follow him and his will for our life. God reveals himself in a general sense through creation, history, and our conscience. Through creation, he demonstrates his glory and power, according to Romans 1. In his work through history, he demonstrates his sovereignty and his grace. And through our conscience, he allows us to know what is right and wrong, so he reveals holiness and righteousness. He reveals something of his character. And in a more specific sense or particular sense, God reveals his purpose and his love for us in the person of Jesus Christ. God is always revealing himself. It's all a matter of whether we have eyes to see what he is revealing to us. But yet so often, folks, again, are looking at God's will as though it is some treasure to find that God has made difficult to locate, and we are looking for the X that marks the spot. We're like the fellow named Frank who went to his pastor and said, I've fallen on hard times, pastor. I've lost all of my money through a series of bad investments. He was dressed shabbily. He had walked to the church. He had lost everything. And his pastor responded to him and said, I want you to go home. I want you to open your Bible at random and stick your finger on a page and there will be God's answer. Great pastoral counsel there is. Well, sometime later, the preacher bumped into Frank and he was wearing a Gucci suit. He had a Rolex watch and he just stepped out of a Mercedes and the pastor said, Frank, I'm glad to see things turned around for you. And Frank said, yeah, preacher, he said, I'd owe it all to you. He said, I went home and did exactly what you told me to do. I opened my Bible, I put my finger down on the page, and there was the answer. Chapter 11. Bankruptcy. Some of you guys took a moment to get that, didn't you? Some of us, when it comes to finding God's will, we get really crazy and act foolishly sometimes. We do silly things. Seeking out that which is obvious, that which is all around us, and that which God definitely is interested for us to find out and to know and to live by. God's will is not something left to chance, nor is it so foolishly discerned as to be ascertained by randomly flipping through a book, even if that book is the Bible. God has revealed himself through creation, history, and our conscience. He has revealed himself through Jesus. And his will is discerned or known, not by chance, but through Scripture, the Holy Spirit, our prayers, God's use of other people, circumstances, and the convictions he places upon our heart. See, this is, this is something we take from this passage of Scripture, which should give us great hope, expectation of good things, that God intends for you to know him, and God intends for you to know his will for your life, and if you want to know his will for your life, if you want to know him, most importantly, all you have to do is open your eyes spiritually. Make sure that your spiritual vision is clear so that you can see what he is obviously making known or intends to obviously make known all around you. But there are two things which cloud our vision spiritually. There are two things which make a bad I. Now, Jesus indicates this in the preceding verses. This was a wicked generation. They were a generation in which sin was pervasive. Unbelief and sin 
was pervasive. It was a part of their culture, a part of their life, a part of their psyche. It was a part of the DNA of who they were. They were known as characterized by their wickedness. And as a result of their wickedness, they were blinded spiritually to the obvious revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He was and is the Messiah. He was there doing all of these miracles. He was casting out demons. He was preaching the kingdom. It was very clear that here was the Messiah they had long awaited, and they did not have eyes to see him because of their wicked hearts. Unbelief and sin, unbelief is sin, by the way, unbelief and sin will cloud your spiritual vision and prevent you from both knowing God in the first place and walking with God by faith. A bad eye is one clouded by unbelief and sin. You know, we have one job as human beings. Do you know that? We have really one primary job as human beings and that is to believe that is to believe the truth and entrust ourselves to it to have faith in Jesus Christ there were some folks that came to Jesus once in John chapter 6 verse 28 and 29 and said what shall we do that we may work the works of God and what they were asking here is they were saying how can we be certain that we are following God's will for our life and doing the things that God wants us to do with our life. Jesus gave a very simple answer to their question. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He said, here is the work of God, that you would believe in me as your Messiah. It will radically change the whole of your life to believe the truth of God that he is trying to reveal to you through every way possible around us. He says, if you will believe in me, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, if you will believe that truth and entrust your life to me, it will radically change who you are. And you will begin to follow God's will. And you don't need to worry about anything else because he is going to reveal moment by moment how that works out in your life and what he intends for you to specifically be and to do. You just need to be concerned about the main thing. And that is that you believe rightly when it comes to to me, but we all struggle at some point with unbelief, don't we? Even as believers in Christ. We don't like to admit it, do we? That we struggle to believe when the going gets tough. We struggle to have faith. You know, more of us need to be like the fellow in Mark chapter 9. He brought his son who was demon-possessed to Jesus to be delivered. And he went to Jesus and said, If you can do anything for my boy, please do it. If you can do anything. And Jesus told him, he said, if I can do anything. And he rebuked the man for his unbelief there. If I can do anything. If I can do anything. He said, all things are possible for one who believes. The man replied, and here's where we need to be like the man. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many times have we lacked a clear spiritual vision for some moment in our life because of our unbelief? We struggled to believe that Jesus knew where we were or that he would intervene. We struggled to have a word from God. We struggled to have a vision for what God wanted in a particular situation all because 
of simple unbelief in God's intentions or ability to intervene. We don't like to admit that, do we? We don't like to admit that. But it happens. There are times when we believe, but we struggle to believe. There are times we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm struggling to believe. Help me in my unbelief, Lord, to believe. Unbelief and sin clouds our spiritual vision. Unbelief and sin. You know, unconfessed, unrepented of sin debilitates our life. Now, it debilitates your life if you are an unbeliever in Christ and you're not a follower of Christ in the first place, right? We know that. You're lost and separated from God. But after you become a believer, if there comes a point in time where you have an unconfessed or a series of unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, where you have come to a place where you have just decided that you're going to accept sin as a part of your life when you come to that place where you accept sin as a part of your life it clouds your spiritual vision you are unable to hear god as you should and your life becomes a mess you see there just comes point in time in our life points in time in our life where we have to say to god god i believe help my unbelief for whatever i'm facing because this mountain seems so big i'm struggling to believe that you can act or that you will act and other times we need to go to the lord and say lord i have to come to you right now and confess sin that i have allowed to become a normal part of my life we have to get serious if we want to break through there are a lot of folks that are looking for spiritual breakthrough in their life but they are unwilling to deal with some sin in their life and you just need to understand that if you are willing to accept sin as a part of your life, God is unwilling to do things and to show you things and to reveal things to you. He's not going to overwhelm that sin so that you may have a clear vision, not, not in a usual sense. God is awaiting for us to respond to the revelation we already have so he can give further revelation. He has revealed to us that sin which must be confessed so we have a great option on the table don't we in light of this information of what christ shares with us in his scripture we have an option we have an option to continue in our unbelief and sin or we can turn to christ and believe and obey him and have a clear spiritual vision know god and follow his will for our life now i would venture a guess that most in this room want the latter or you wouldn't be here in the first place right we want to know christ we want to know god we want a relationship with god and not only that, but we want to know him in such a way that we know his will for our life moment by moment. So let's get to the meat of where we go from here. First, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and Lord of your life, if you don't know for certain you have a relationship with God, you need to understand God loves you. And he has demonstrated his love to you by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He has revealed himself to you through this glorious creation. He has revealed himself to you through history. He has revealed himself to you in your conscience and that you know what is right and you know what is wrong. The reason you know what is right and you know what is wrong is because there is a standard. And that standard is found in God. It is an evidence of his existence. And you have done wrong, I have done wrong, everyone has done wrong. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God being a right relationship with Him. 
So if you do not know that you know, that you know Jesus Christ, you need to understand that he loves you, he has revealed himself to you as God, and he died to pay the price for your sins. All of sin and the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. There's always a paycheck for sin. And we owe eternity separated from God for our sin, our rebellion. Sin is any thought, word, or deed contrary to God's will to your life, for your life. So there is a paycheck. There is a price to be paid. And Jesus paid that price. And if you will believe and trust that he died on the cross for your sins personally and give your life to him, you can know God. You move from unbelief to belief. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God begins to open your eyes to further revelation how you can follow him. But for the believers in this room and those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And let me just say, if you do not know Jesus, I hope in just a moment that you'll take us up on what's just been revealed to you and you'll give your life to him. We invite you to do so this morning. But for the rest of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we need a clear path to overcome that which clouds our vision spiritually. And I want you to listen carefully here for the next couple of minutes. Because I really do believe that this could be something that would change your life radically this morning. How do you move from a place of unbelief to belief? When the mountains are so big that they overwhelm you, they are so big that they cause you to doubt and struggle to believe, how do you overcome unbelief and doubt? First thing is, is that you have to decide right now that you're going to have faith in God. Faith is belief and trust in Him. You're going to have faith in God intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. Now let me, let me just say, some of you, this may be new information, but there are really three components or parts to faith. There is the intellectual part of faith where I believe God can do something. Now we all have to start there, right? I have to start at a place where I believe God can do something. So, well, all right, I'm there with you so far. Everything's great. Don't struggle with unbelief at all. I believe God can do anything. That's good. The second part of faith is the emotional part. I want God to do something. So I might even ask him to do something that I want him to do. I believe he can do it. I want him to do it. I ask him to do it. That's the emotional part of faith. And you know what? Most everybody, most everybody, even the demons in hell and Satan himself, can have intellectual faith and emotional faith. It's the third part we struggle with. The matter of the will. Volitional faith. The volitional part of faith is this. God, I'm going to act as if it is, as if it is so when it is not so because you have said it is so so that it might be so. Some of you said you just lost me. I didn't have my second cup of coffee. Listen to that again. God, I'm going to act as if it is so, even when it is not so, because you have said it is so, so that it might be so. Let me give you an example of this. The daddy in Mark chapter 9 should have approached Jesus with the desire for Jesus to do something, but also the belief that he would do something. Jesus had already revealed that he had come to destroy the works of Satan, to destroy the works of the powers of darkness. He had some understanding of that, or he never would have taken his son to Jesus in the first place. So he had a knowledge of Jesus and a knowledge of the reason Jesus came. So he had a word from God. And when you have a word from God, you should begin to act as if it is so, even when it is not so, so that it may be so. 
Because God says it is so. See, he should have brought his son to Jesus that day, not saying, if you can do something, I've heard you've done things for other people, if you can do something for my boy. Because see, that's where our unbelief, that, that's where our unbelief comes really to be realized in our own life. We've heard God do things for other people. We're not real sure he'll do it for us. We have heard the stories, but we're not sure they're true for us. That's what happened with this man in Mark 9. He had heard Jesus had done these things or he wouldn't have brought his son in the first place. He had the revelation of God that Jesus had come to destroy the works of the enemy. So what he should have done is come to Jesus saying, I believe that you can do this. And Jesus, I am asking you to deliver my son. And in the process of coming, he should have been praising the Lord saying, Today my son is delivered because I have found Jesus. Today my son is delivered from this demon. This is the last day that this demon will have hold of my boy because I'm taking him to Jesus and Jesus is going to deliver him. And right now I'm celebrating what Jesus is to do. Now listen, there are a lot of folks that abuse this theology. The name it, claim it crowd. They'll say, I'm believing God for a Cadillac. God's going to give me a Cadillac and I'm already acting like I'm in a Cadillac. Let me tell you something. If you have a word from the Lord, he wants you to drive a Cadillac, great. Have faith for a Cadillac. But you better have a word from the Lord on that. So what we're talking about here in the volitional part of faith is when God has given us his word on something, we need to stand on it. It's more than just a belief God can do what he says he will do. It's more than just wanting God to do what he says that he will do. It's an, an actual entrusting of ourselves to the facts. God has the ability to do it. God has said he will do it. And I believe and I'm now acting upon the facts that God will do what he says even if i don't see it right now even if it doesn't seem circumstantially to be true i believe he can do it i believe he has given me a word he will do it and so therefore i am entrusting myself to him and i am acting as though it is because i know it will be realized that's belief you want to move from unbelief to belief you have to come to the place where you will intellectually have faith emotionally have faith and volitionally have faith where you know a word from God and you begin to live your life acting upon it. Listen, we do this at some point. Some of you guys say, this is really, I'm not sure what I think about this, got to think about this. Listen, you already do it in so many ways. What do you think happens when you get saved in the first place? You intellectually believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You emotionally want him to save you. You ask him to save you. And as a matter of your will, you trust that he has and give your life to him. And from that point on, you are a different person. You are really radically changed and made into a new creation. We just need to learn to do it for some other things in our life. When we go to God with unbelief clouding our spiritual vision, we are a mess as believers. And we are left as a blind man groping about searching for the will of God which is being rained down upon us at all times in the metaphor of light. Interesting, isn't it? As believers in Christ, we have to let go of our unbelief. We have to decide that we're going to believe. We have to pray and ask God to help us with our unbelief so that we might believe. We have to make a decision and pray that God will help us not just have faith intellectually, have faith emotionally, but also to have faith volitionally that we may begin to act our life upon that which God has spoken to us 
and told us is true. We have to believe it. And let me tell you something else. And I'm going to close with this. If you are a Christian today, and I appreciate the amens, we need more of that. This is true. But let me tell you something. If you want freedom from sin in your life as a believer, you need to understand something. You need to listen very carefully. If you are one who is unbelief, you now have the path to belief. You now have the path to move from unbelief to belief. But if you are a Christian who is wrestling with some pet sin, some sin that you've allowed to be a part of your life, to be habitual, and you want freedom over that, you need to understand something first and foremost. You go to God and you don't pray for the victory over that. You don't pray for victory over that sin. You say, what in the world? I didn't expect that. Let me tell you something. Don't you go to God asking Him to give you victory. He has already given you the victory. You are praying from a place of victory, not praying for victory. You are placing from the place of the victorious life, not looking for the victorious life, not seeking it and praying for it. God has already forgiven you of your sins, and He has already defeated the power of sin in your life. He has already made you a victor. You see, overcoming sin is just another opportunity for us as believers in Christ to believe rightly. To believe that what Christ has said He has done and that we want Him to do is something that He has actually done. See, there are a lot of folks who are living in the mire and muck of sin and the defeat with it because they have not, in a volitional sense, believed in what Christ has done. And so it has not affected their life. You see, this is where faith changes us. When we move from just a mere intellectual understanding of something God has done and an emotional desire for something God will do to a place where we actually act on it, a place we give ourselves to it, we accept it as a reality of our life. See, if you want freedom from any sin, and I don't care what that sin is, you go to God and you pray to God and you ask Him, you say, Lord, you know I've struggled with this sin. And Lord, you know I've confessed it to you again and again and again. And today I'm confessing it yet again. But today I really mean it because I intend to turn my back on it. Lord, I am sorry for hurting your heart. Lord, I am asking you now to help me realize the victory that you have given me over sin. You have defeated the power of sin in my life. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for it to be realized in this area with regard to this sin so that I'll not do it again. Lord, keep me in repentance by your power and in the victory you've given me. Then we have spiritual eyes to see. See, there are so many folks who have missed Christ because of their wickedness, their unbelief, and unrepented of, unconfessed, unrepented of sin. And Jesus says, the revelation of me and my will is like the light from the sun radiating down upon you. It is always there if you have eyes to see it. If you have eyes to see it, it will change you. It will govern your life. It will enable you. It will empower you. It will enlighten you. Today, there may be some in this room that you have never had a time in your life where you have come into a relationship with God. You have struggled to know whether or not God exists. You have struggled as to whether or not Jesus is really his son. Let me tell you, God is revealing himself to you at all times. Open your eyes to see. God has revealed himself to this incredible creation, his glory, his power. 
He has revealed himself to you through history and how he has brought you to this place that you are right now through the history of your life and the history of the world. He has demonstrated his sovereignty and his grace. He has demonstrated to you in your intellect his existence because he has put within you the knowledge of right and wrong and you know you do wrong. And he has revealed himself specifically to you through the person of Jesus Christ, his son. There are many, many evidences historically, many, many evidences from prophecy that Jesus is who he claims to be. I'd be more than happy to talk with you and carry you through and walk you through some of those things if you're struggling. But Jesus Christ is the son of God, the Messiah, and he has died for your sins. And if you will give your heart to him today, you can, from this moment forward, for all eternity, Scripture says, have a relationship with God. He will change you. He will change your quality of life and he will change the quantity of your life. It will never end and he will always be with you. And that's all you need. But if you are a believer in Christ and you've been wrestling and seeking God's will for your life and you've been stumbling about because you have had bad eyes, bad spiritual vision because of some sense of unbelief or because of some some unconfessed sin in your life, I invite you today to do business with God as well. Just Get it right with him. Just come to him and say, Lord, I am sorry. And listen, we all have these moments in our life as believers because we are simply not perfect people. We are all a work in progress. The real great hope for all of us is found in Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So you're not alone in that. If you're at some place right now where you've been struggling and you need to repent from some sin, or if you're someplace right now where the mountains in your life seem so big that you have doubted God's willingness or ability to do what he has said he will do for you, I invite you today to do business with God and just come to him and just pour out your heart to him. You can do it here at the altar. You can do it at your chair. You might do it at home this afternoon, but I encourage you to do it and let somebody know that you're doing it. Let somebody know that this has happened in your life so they can pray for you and encourage you and hold you accountable for what God has done in your heart today. Because if we are rightly walking with God, rightly believing in him, we can know God's will. We can know God, first of all, and have a greater intimacy with him And also at every point in our life, know his purpose, his will for our time here and for eternity. Will you do that this morning? Would you do that? That's the challenge this morning. If you don't know Jesus, come let us help you know him. Let us explain to you. Let us talk with you. Let us pray with you. If you do know Jesus and there's some sense of unbelief or unconfessing, I invite you this morning. We invite you this morning. Do business with God today. Would you do that today? Would you let the Spirit of God change you let the spirit of god convict you not my words but the spirit of the living god because he is real and he is active let him convict you and let him change you would you respond